Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, we come to the end of this series on the Lord's Prayer. And next week, Ben will be uh, bringing a message to us, continuing though in our kingdom theme that we've been in all ministry year. And then uh, we'll be looking at kingdom parables to finish out the ministry year before we transition to the summertime. And we'll be in the Psalms for the summer. Um, I hope this series has been helpful for you and your prayer life and Hopefully it's, it's enriched your personal prayer life. Hopefully it is enriching the prayer times in our covenant groups and our discipleship groups. I want to make special mention that if you would like to have, I think, a, an edifying time of prayer with some brothers and sisters, we have a group of, of men and women who meet at 9 o'clock every morning right here on campus. Um, they meet across the, the way in the B building. That's the two-story building right across, by, behind us here. Um, and they pray for different things, both needs uh, of people in our church. They pray for our church. They pray for our community. Um, it is a great, great group of, of men and women that are praying up there. And if you would like to join them, I know that they have more seats available. Uh, and it would be great uh, if you have nothing going on on Sunday morning co-join that group of, of men and women and pray. You know, as a teenager, uh, I was a teenager, uh, and my dad was a deacon in the church that we were at over in the Tampa area. I graduated from high school over in the Tampa area, though I was raised mostly in Jacksonville. And uh, my dad was a deacon there. And one night, uh, we, he had a deacon's meeting, and I, I was in that meeting with him. And uh, in the meeting, the pastor, uh, who, was, uh, who was lamenting the fact that uh, another pastor in our denomination, who was very well known, who was very influential, uh, had, had fallen into sin, into an egregious type of sin. It cost him uh, his church. It cost him his family. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was scandalous. And it was, it was just a shame. And, it's, and this pastor had been a mentor and had been very important in the life of my pastor. And, and in that conversation, my pastor said something along the lines of, you know, I just don't understand how he could do that. I could never, ever do that to my family. I could never do that to my church. And he continued to talk about this situation. And it was a very emotional time. Uh, later that evening, as we were riding home, my dad turned to me and he said, uh, Son, in life, never say never, especially when it comes to sin. He said, Never say never, especially when it comes to sin, because the thing that you think that you will never, ever do will be the thing that you do. You know, I, at that time, I was too young to appreciate those words of wisdom from my dad. I later came to realize that there was a lot behind that statement when my dad gave it to me in his own life. But now I've lived a lot of years, and I have come to appreciate how true that statement is. 
And a lot of you, I see across the room, many people who are old enough to appreciate the wisdom because you understand the power of sin, the subtlety and the power of the enemy who we have fighting with us and against us, the evil one, Satan. You know, it's, uh, it's said that Martin Luther ended each day with the fifth petition, the petition that we covered last week, forgive us our debts as we have been forgiving those who are indebted to us. But each morning, he would start his morning with this petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That makes sense, doesn't it? That you would end your day with the fifth petition and begin your day with the sixth petition. Well, when we jump right into this petition, immediately, I think for some of us, a question comes to mind, right? Lead us not into temptation. Does that, does that create a question in any of your minds? Think about that for a second. Why would you pray that? to God, right? Why pray for God to not do something that is not in his character to do in the first place, right? I mean, it's kind of like saying, God, come sin with me. That ain't going to happen, right? He's holy. He can't sin. And praying, asking God to not lead us into temptation, well, it's not in the character of God to lead us into temptation. So why would we pray asking him to not lead us into temptation? That seems, you know, dumb. Waste of words, waste of breath. I mean, the the scripture tells us in James chapter one, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So why do we pray, lead us not into temptation? We need to understand what that word temptation means. Let's start right there. It comes from the Greek word perosmos. And depending upon the context, it will have a different translation in the English Bible. So in one setting, the word of Herosmos might be a test or a trial because the context means it's an attempt to learn the nature or the character of something. In another context, it might be that the word is translated temptation or an enticement to sin because the meaning behind it is an attempt to make something, someone do something that is wrong or sinful. And so therefore, it's a temptation. Uh, you see these throughout the scripture. For example, the first meaning, testing, trial, trying to learn the character of something we see in 1 Peter chapter 1. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And the the context makes it clear that the church is growing through a time of, of suffering and tribulation, and God is permitting this to happen in order to strengthen the church and discern the character of the individuals of the church. In in Matthew, we find several examples of the other uh usage of perosmos. In in Matthew chapter 4, for example, verse 1, when Jesus is going into the wilderness to face Satan in his temptation, verse 1 says, he's led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And in other words, he will be incited to sin, encouraged to sin by the evil one. In Matthew 26, verse 41, watch and pray, Jesus says to his disciples, that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Daryl Johnson's written a, a great little book on the Lord's Prayer, and, and he takes on this word, and he says it means that it's a difficult or a challenging situation in life, which can either be a test proving and improving a person's character, or a temptation enticing a person into the way of sin. Whether it is a test or a temptation depends on who is behind it and how we respond. So let's recap what we know so far, right, about this little uh, first portion of the petition. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are not praying and asking God to not lead us into sin because God can't do this. He gets his character. The word temptation, it can mean either a testing, a trial, or it can mean an enticement to sin. So far, what we know doesn't help us understand what this means, right? So we need another data point. And when we have a confusion about something in the Bible, there is a basic principle that we must remember. Scripture interprets Scripture. Say that with me. Scripture interprets Scripture. I get weary of folks I see on television when they're talking about the Bible, and, well, I think this means, who cares what you think? What does the Scripture say? Scripture interprets Scripture, okay? And so we have another data point here that is very important for us to consider, and it's this simple, basic truth. Are you ready? God will lead us into times of testing, trials, and tribulations. God will lead us into times of perosmas. He will take us there, or he will permit it to occur. James chapter 1, for example, verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, perosmos, there's our word, of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In other words, God will take us into times of temptation, testing, trials for the sheer purpose of discerning the character of our faith, revealing it to us, showing us where, where, where there's weakness, where there's strength, building us up, making us stronger, tearing us down because he's got a work of sanctification to do in our hearts in order to reveal sin that is all kinds of reasons in God's mind to take us into a time of trial and testing. So we know that God will not tempt us to sin, but we have to remember that God will test us. Just ask Abraham. Just ask Job. Just ask Jesus. Ask the great saints of old. Ask any number of people in our church right now if this is not true. So we know this, and yet when we read this petition, 
You can't help but pick up that it is clearly a plea for protection, right? Father, lead us not into temptation. There's a a request here. Protect us. Deliver us from evil. So so what's going on here? We need God to protect us from a very real danger. And what is that danger? Again, this is where, like last week, conjunctions are important. Remember last week? We talked about conjunctions in the fifth petition. The conjunction here is important. Lead us not into temptation, but... You see, the second half of this petition helps us understand what the first half is getting at. But deliver us from evil. Or more literally, deliver us, some of your translations say, from the what? evil one. Now, which one is it? The English Standard Version, the version that we tend to use the most here, that's kind of the baseline version of our church, says evil. A lot of your versions, which are also new, like you say the evil one. And which one is it? Is, are we supposed to be praying for deliverance from evil? Like just this, you know, there's evil in the world? Or is this a, a person of evil, the evil one, Satan, the devil? Um, I would contend that it is the evil one. I don't really understand why the translators make it evil here, because just a couple of chapters later in Matthew chapter 13, the same Greek word, same construction, same everything is there. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the, read it out loud, evil one. Same word, same case, same everything. In 13, it's evil one, and six, it's evil. I think it just went with tradition for some reason. But I'm going to tell you, it's evil one. I believe it's the evil one. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What's he getting at? Here's the truth of it all. Folks, we need God's protection. This is a plea, a prayer. God, we need your protection. Why? Because we have an implacable, aggressive, real enemy, and he is seeking to destroy us. He is seeking to turn the normal tests and trials of life into temptations to sin. You see, tomorrow you will be faced with all kinds of tests. Not today. (laughs) Actually, even today, right? You will be faced with all kinds of tests. Some of these tests, they come from the normal, ordinary rhythms of life. The fact that we're in a fallen world, your, your husband is really fallen, ladies. Your children are fallen. Your boss is fallen. We live in a fallen and broken world, and the normal, ordinary rhythms of life are going to bring test into your life. <laughs> I was talking to, a, I was talking to a, an elder last night. And after the sermon, he goes, oh, man, this is so true. He says, yesterday, he said, I was, I was working with one of these new, newfangled, who came up with the design for these new gas cans? Here's a guy with advanced degrees in engineering. Have you seen these new gas cans? I mean, it takes, who designed, whoever designed these things has never run out of gas. 
because you cannot use these things and get gas out of them. And he was, he was fussing with it, he was messing with it, and he couldn't get gas to come out of it, and he finally just lost it, and after he lost it, and he vented, and he, apparently it must have been epic, and he turns around, and his grandchildren who were visiting from Utah had just come back from the beach and were standing right behind him with his wife, and they're just looking at Grandpa. Ordinary rhythms of life. It just takes the littlest things, right? And then you have the extraordinary events that God permits or actively brings into our lives. And some of you are in the midst of them right now or you will experience something new that will come into your life. And the reality of our lives is this, folks. We have a ferocious, real enemy, an evil enemy, who seeks to turn the ordinary tests, the extraordinary trials of our lives, and he tries to turn these into enticements to sin. One of the most well-known, probably, images of the devil. Many of you know it. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 5 where he tells us, you know, be sober-minded, be watchful, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a what? You know it. Yeah, I love a church that knows their Bible, right? And we have an enemy who's like the, the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. What a graphic image that is. But listen, the next verse is interesting because it shows us the context of life that this is occurring in. Verse 9 says, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering, are suffering, did you catch that? Where is the context of life that this warning about Satan as a devouring lion is being given. It's being given to Christians who are in the middle of, of trials and tribulations and testings. In chapter 1, he says, you're being tested for your faith. It's being revealed. And at the end, he says, now beware, while you're suffering, you have an, uh, an enemy and he seeks to devour you. Be aware of this. That pastor I referred to at the beginning of my message, he was, in many respects, outside of my, my parents, my first real spiritual mentor. When I, when I sensed that God wanted me to do this for my life, and I went to him and I talked to him about it. He, he, he said, no, he didn't. He didn't call you to, to preach the gospel. You're the last person in the world he'd ever call to preach the gospel. And I said, yes, he did. He goes, no, Jerry, he did not. You are not the person God will ever use to preach the gospel. And I looked at him and I said, yes, he did, pastor. He goes, Jerry, I am telling you right now, I've been doing this, you are not the guy who should ever be picking up a Bible, preaching the gospel. I said, I do not care what you say, this is God's call on my life, and I am going to do it for the rest of my life. He goes, good, I was just making sure it was real. <laughs> 
said, if I could have talked you out of it, it wasn't God. He taught me how to develop a sermon. Within one month of that conversation, as a 17-year-old teenager, before probably five, 600 people, he put me in front of a pulpit and had me preach my first sermon. Helped me develop it, coached me through it, showed me a concordance, showed me, began to teach me what Greek and Hebrew and all these different things were. He mentored me. He was an incredible influence in my life. After I went off to college, he himself began to go through a deep time of trial, both because of the church and problems in the church, health problems with family and his wife, and he just went through the valley. And he ended up falling much worse than the pastor that he talked about in that conversation that night with my dad. You see, we are vulnerable in the test, the normal, everyday rhythms of life when we're being tested, the extraordinary events of life. We are vulnerable and we have a roaring lion enemy seeking to devour us, lead us not into temptation, but protect us from the evil one. Is it starting to make sense now? Daryl Johnson, who wrote that, that wonderful book on the Lord's Prayer, says, you know, when you look at what the enemy does in his approach to us, you look at the temptations of the Bible, you have Eve, for example, in Genesis 3, you have Jesus in Matthew 4, there's a pattern here of how our enemy operates. And the very first thing that he does, and you should write this down, when he comes and he begins to whisper or scream in your ear, the very first thing he does is he sows seeds of suspicion towards God. God is not good. God doesn't have your good in mind. What, what, what did you do to deserve this? God must be really upset with you. Boy, that sin in your life, man, this is kind of a harsh response from God, isn't it? He, he sows seeds of suspicion that somehow God is not disposed, and it all comes back to this, that God is not disposed to our good. He's trying to create doubt. He did this with Eve, right? He comes to Eve and he says, has God said that you can't eat the fruit of these trees? You see, that's another thing he does. He will focus on the negative in some way, and, and, and he'll encourage us to make deductions from the negative as he's sowing these seeds of doubt. So he sows seeds of doubt, and he encourages us to focus on the negative and make false deductions from that negative focus that comes from those seeds of suspicion. And so Eve says, well, I can't eat of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, which was a false deduction, because the tree in the middle of the garden was the tree of life. She couldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So she now, in her thinking, was wrong. Hath God said? You know, he does this with Jesus. 
throws the words of God back in Jesus' face. Jesus, if you're the Son of God, turn these stones to breath. I mean, you're in the desert. If God really loves you, I mean, you're, you're, if you're God's Son, why do you only have stones? By the way, he had all kinds of things. I mean, the desert has all kinds of things to eat in it, right? I mean, not, it's not a state, don't get me wrong, but there's more than stones to eat. But he focuses on the negative. Focus on this. Look how God has abandoned you. Thought you were the son of God. You know, he has said, Jesus, that he is for you and that he won't let your foot hit the ground and be hurt. Why don't you prove that? Prove God to be a man of his word, that he really loves you. Throw yourself off this temple. You see, he'll encourage us to throw the words of God back in God's face. God, you tell me you won't give me a burden too great to bear. This is too much. You've got to deliver me right now. This isn't right. You've got to show me what's going on right now. I can't handle this or else I am out of this. I'm done. God, if you don't want me to look at this, if you don't want me to drink this, if you don't, then you're going to have to fill in the blank. You'll tell me you'll rescue me, so you've got to do it. Right now, here's how it needs to be. God is not a trained sea world dolphin who does backflips at our command. Okay? God doesn't play that game. And, and by the way, the enemy knows that. And so here comes the final temptation. It's common. I mean, it's going to happen every single time. Because you can't trust God and he doesn't have your good really at mind. He's got his own agendas and everything else. If you want relief from what it is that you're feeling, from what it is you're experiencing, whatever that event is in your life right now, the frustrations with a, a cast can or with your spouse or with your money or, or with the, the tension that you have in your sex life or whatever it may be, if you want relief from that, you can't wait around any longer on God because he's already shown that he's, he doesn't have your good in mind. You're going to have to take matters into your own hand. His only way you're going to get deliverance is for you to take action. So uncork that bottle or take another toke or click on that website or just spend that. It's your money. You work hard for it. So spend it the way you want to spend it. And don't worry about what God says about it. You see, this is what the enemy does when we face the ordinary trials of life and the extraordinary testings and tribulations and trials of life. He is there ready to go through this type of pattern with us. As I, as I meditated on this this week and I looked at my own life and, and how true this pattern has been. I, I became convinced of, of something that in so many ways, all of our enemies' efforts, they, they seek to entice us to, to doubt a particular portion of the Lord's prayer. They seek to entice us to doubt the opening the opening of the Lord's prayer. Not the end, that God will deliver us from evil, but the beginning.
our dearest Father. Our Father in heaven, our dearest Father, literally, our dearest Father, our loving Father, our good, dear, loving Father in heaven who's all-powerful and all-wise and all-good, His efforts seek to cause us to doubt that single portion of the prayer. Because if we doubt that portion of the prayer, the fallout from that is catastrophic. You see, because we're in Christ, our status has been changed. Our destiny has been changed. We have God as our dearest and our loving Father. He's made promises to us. I mean, just look at the last three petitions. He's promised that He will provide for all of our needs So when we're tempted when it comes to money and material things, and we have this voice whispering in our ear, we have the truth of our dear Father saying, I will take care of everything. So it's not an attack on the promise of provision. It's an attack on our belief that He is the dear, loving Father. The goodness of God towards us. That's the attack. And it's manifested perhaps in provision, the promise of provision. I'll provide for your bread, for all of your needs. Or it's an attack in the arena of the forgiveness of our sins and the shame and the guilt that we have. But make no mistake, the root attack is the dear Father. Or maybe it's an attack that, against the promise that He will protect us from temptation. I mean, realize that even the enticements of the evil one are constrained by the goodness of God. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is the promise of God. The temptation that we have in our time of testing, God says, no matter how strong it may be, I am constraining it to a place where you can overcome it. I will not let the evil one overwhelm you. Not if you don't want that temptation. I'm giving you the resources to defeat him. But in our testing, if, if we doubt the goodness of God, if we make false deductions about God and our situation, if we take matters into our own hands, we will find ourselves defeated and we will find ourselves beginning to just wallow in sin. And rather than enjoying the freedom that comes with being God's children, we'll begin to feel powerless We'll begin to feel overwhelming guilt and shame. We'll begin to feel enslaved instead of free. 
We, we were singing that, the second song this morning, and I got to tell you, I, I, I lost it. I began to weep. I, I looked across the church, and I looked over at, at MJ. MJ and I are going over up to Minneapolis this week and, uh, for a checkup. He go, we, he's part of an ongoing study up there with his disease. And uh, I realized that uh, this week, 24 years ago this week, we were in the middle of transplant, and we were around the clock. We were just fighting for his life, and it just came back with a flood of memories. I could see it. I could smell it, and just everything that we went through. And, uh, you know, when, when that thing happened, and I've alluded to this before, now that's an extraordinary test. But you're going to have extraordinary tests in your life at some point. Everybody will. But this princi- these principles and truths are, f- are the same, whether it's extraordinary or the ordinary. doesn't make any difference. Um, when we got that diagnosis of MJ, and as we began to go through that process, and when we were in the hospital room around the clock taking shifts and, I mean, just suctioning goo, I mean, he, he couldn't breathe. It was just horrible. To, I mean, they had to take him to death's door. And I mean, it was just bad. Um, three or four of the kids before him died. They didn't make it through the procedure. That's just how brutal the procedure was. Um, and to that point in time in our marriage and in our life, if you had asked from an outsider, who's the spiritual giants and this and what, and you'd just say, oh, Jerry. But I'm going to tell you something. When this trial hit us, my wife took off. I mean, in some respects, she was like a female Abraham. She was marching up Mount Moriah with her child, ready to sacrifice him. God's going to provide. She never doubted the faithfulness of God. She was constantly quoting scripture about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, singing songs about the, the majest, majestic nature of God. She'd get on the piano and play for hours and just almost tear it apart. And I realized now she was working through it herself, but she held on to the goodness of God. And I'm going to tell you something. I sat there and I watched that woman take leaps in her spiritual maturity and her life maturity as a woman and as a mother and as a wife and everything. Meanwhile, (laughs) on the other side of the relationship was the hardhead who couldn't get past it. And he began to doubt God's goodness. And that set a different trajectory. Covenant Church, I love you people dearly. And I wonder how many of you this morning are feeling enslaved, defeated, powerless. Last night you went back for that extra glass of wine, or you went back to that website, or you went back to whatever, try to cope with whatever 
the pain is, the situation that you can't get past, the experience in your life, I don't know what it is. Perhaps it's because of an active situation that you are in the middle of right now. But I got news for you. It can very much be because of things that happened years ago in your life that haven't been resolved, haven't been dealt with, and, and you're stuck. In some ways, you're stuck. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a, a, one of the members of our church is going to stand up here and give an incredible testimony, and it's going to be the beginning and, and the announcement of a, of a new ministry in our church. I'm not going to spill beans, but you need to be in church in two weeks, and every empty seat that's in here needs to be filled in two weeks. You know people who aren't here, you tell them, get their butt in here in two weeks. Say it just like that. No, don't say it like that. Invite them nicely. It's going to be a phenomenal ministry. I think it's going to bring incredible healing and gospel restoration to so many people in our church. It's long overdue. The testimony, uh, I read it this week, and I asked if I could share a couple of lines in it because it was so pertinent to what we're talking about. This person had no idea what I was speaking of, but in the testimony, it says, the enemy would like nothing more than for you to continue in bondage to the shame and guilt that results from feeling broken. But the gospel of Jesus Christ offers healing. Amen. You know, our, our Father, He loves us too much to let us stay in a place of shame and guilt and defeat and enslavement. It doesn't matter if you're the pastor of the church or if you're a a member or a guest or a newcomer, it doesn't matter. If you're a child of God, he will not let you stay there. It's the goodness of God. He will not let you fail. He who's begun a good work in you will be faithful and he will complete it. And the scriptures tell us that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Yes, we have an aggressive, powerful, evil one who is the enemy who seeks to devour our souls. But if you belong to God, guess what? He will not devour your soul. God, his, his power, it is derived power. In other words, he may be a roaring lion, but he is on a leash, and that leash has a length to it, and there's coming a day when that leash gets yanked once and for all, and he's done. That's the gospel. And so even now, this enemy he has been defeated from eternity at the cross of Christ when Jesus died and he was buried and he rose again. His, his destiny was sealed. And Jesus showed us that even though he still roams and he may be on a leash and he may be tempting and he seeks to devour, he showed us in the wilderness in his own temptations, he can be defeated. He can be defeated right now. You don't have to wait to eternity. He can be defeated right now in your life. Jesus threw scripture at him. That's important. That could be sermons in and of itself. But I don't want you to miss 
don't overlook that the defeat of this enemy in our life, it starts with prayer. This petition right here. If we, if we overlook this petition, we're like a sacrificial lamb before the devouring lion. See, Luther was right. How do you start your day without this? How do you live your day without continually returning to it? Our prayer life is going to be anemic without it. And folks, it's more than 11 words. It's not an magical mantra that we pray as if we're pressing the button. It's a framework. It's meant to guide our thoughts and to show us how to pray. And so I want to close in that way. I want to model it for you. I want to show you it's much more than 11 words. I want to pray those 11 words over us as a church and over you, people that I love, for this week. Hopefully you'll see how maybe you can incorporate this petition and all the petitions into your prayer life this week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, protect us this week. Even if we didn't have an enemy, Lord, we need your protection from our own sin and our brokenness because it's an ever-present danger to our souls. Protect us from ourselves, Lord. By your grace, give us the power to say no to the desires of our flesh. Give us the power to say yes to what honors you. Help us to serve your kingdom, Father. Give us the strength to reject the temptations of this world. Father, many of us this morning in this church are facing difficult situations and trials. Many of us are dealing with real pain from the trials of life. Many of us have family members that we love, that we could name even right now, friends that the same is true for them. Many of us are facing times of uncertainty, and it's hard to trust, Lord. Sometimes it's very hard to trust in your goodness. It's hard to see it at times. Especially, Lord, when we have this enemy who whispers in our ears and he encourages us to doubt you, Father. Lord, we believe. Help us with our unbelief. God, help us to tune him out. Father, shut up his voice. May the voice of your spirit scream even as his voice whispers. Help us to remember how good and faithful you've been to us in the past. Fill our minds, Father, with the promise of your word. Lord, lead us away from where our hearts and our minds want to go. Lead us away from temptation and sin, and instead, lead us to righteousness and peace. Lead us not into temptation, but protect us from the enemy of our souls and help us to find our satisfaction in our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray all these things. 
over these people whom I love. Amen.